Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, visit them at a ham fest near you or call 920-435-2973 or online at pl-259.com. It's Ham Radio. Good evening, everyone. It's time for Ham Talk Live, episode number 101. The science learned from the solar eclipse QSO party, recorded live on Thursday, February 8th, 2018. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight, we're joined by Dr. Nathaniel Frisell, W2NAF. And we'll take your calls live in just a few minutes. Last week, Val in V9L and Bryant KG5HVO were here to give us a live update on the Buffet Island DXpedition. And uh, since that show, uh, they did have to cancel that trip due to some engine problems on the boat. And uh, we wish them a safe journey home. Uh, they're trying to get to... Um, South Africa right now and on one engine and um, they're already talking about rescheduling so we'll uh, try to catch up with them at some point. Uh, if you missed that show you can listen anytime at hamtalklive.com or you can uh, tune in on one of those podcast outlets like Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or iHeart Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn or SoundCloud. We're also on YouTube so you can find us there. And uh, a couple of announcements here before we go to break. Next week is School Club Roundup, so be sure to get on the air and make some contacts for some students. It's Monday through Friday on most bands and uh, all modes. And more information is at arrl.org slash school-club-roundup. So I know I'll be on the air uh, every day uh, next week, so... Hope to uh, hear you as my students are on and uh, all these other students around the globe um, getting on and and trying to talk to each other and everyone else. So be sure to get on. Um, also, it's time for nominations for the Young Ham Lens a Hand Award. Uh, Carol Perry, WB2MGP, will be collecting nominations to recognize a young licensed person age 19 or younger, who has gone above and beyond to help others. Uh, maybe it's helping with an antenna installation, showing ham radio to others, 
uh, helping with emergency communications, or maybe it's not even necessarily ham radio related, but they're a licensed ham. Um, the winner will receive an award from the Radio Club of America, uh, their Youth Activities Directive at the Dayton Hamvention Youth Forum, and a $100 stipend donated by the Quarter Century Wireless Association for their good deeds. So if you know a young person deserving of that award, send your nomination to carol at wb2mgp at gmail.com by april 1st well uh get your get your science hats on here um we don't have bill nye the mechanical engineer guy we 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 have dr nathaniel frisell and we're going to talk about the ionosphere and and all these things that uh we discovered in the solar eclipse QSO party um and so you'll be able to call in as well uh, as we always do, the phone number, 812-NET-HAM-1, 812-638-4261. Or you can Skype us. We're Ham Talk Live on Skype. And, of course, you can tweet us. Our Twitter handle is at Ham Talk Live. So I'll be back with Nathaniel right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you in part by Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics has been the Ham's Dime Store since 1978. When you need connectors, mobile and handheld antennas, cables, or adapters, visit Scott or Jill at a HamFest near you. Or you can order online at pl-259.com or call 920-435-2973. Stock up on those supplies like PL-259 and end connectors, SMA adapters, audio cables, soldering supplies, mobile antennas, and ham sticks. Their silver-plated end connectors are even used on the International Space Station. Tower Electronics carries MFJ, Comet, Daiwa, OPEC, Workman, and HamPro products. And don't miss their 0% off sale going on now. Tower Electronics online at pl-259.com. Proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. Your host, Neil Rapp, would tell you a chemistry joke, but he probably wouldn't get a reaction. Now, more Ham Talk Live. Thanks to Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show tonight to help bring you Ham Talk Live. This weekend, I'm jealous. They're in Orlando, Florida at Hamcation, so make sure you stop by and see them there. I've never been to Hamcation. I want to go. February 24th, they're in Dalton, Florida, and March 3rd, Cave City, Kentucky, which I have been to that one. And uh, you can call 920-435-2973 or visit them online at pl-259.com. Tell them you heard it on Ham Talk Live and uh, get your connectors or whatever you need. I just uh, put on a couple of those connectors today at school. So uh, thanks to Scott and Jill for that. Well, uh, our guest tonight is Dr. Nathaniel Fursell, W2NAF. He is an assistant research professor at the New Jersey Institute of Technology Center for Solar Terrestrial Research. And he's the lead organizer of HamSci, a project that explores how ham radio can help us understand more about the physics of the ionosphere. 
Nathaniel completed his Ph.D. in electrical engineering in spring 2016 at the Superdarn HF Radar Laboratory at Virginia Tech. Um, he was also involved in the Virginia Tech Amateur Radio Association, where he coordinated the VE team. His interests include HF, CW, HF propagation, and radio scouting, um, including involvement with the uh, W2FSR station at Forstberg Scout Reservation in New York, as well as working on the K2BSA staff at the National Scout Jamboree. So, Nathaniel, welcome to Ham Talk Live. Thank you very much, Neil. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're glad to have you back. You uh, were on the um, Solar Eclipse QSO Party show for the question and answer part, so this time we've got you for the whole uh, 45 minutes, and uh, glad you can come, and we'll we'll put on our, our science hats here and, and, uh, and uh, get all the science geek stuff going here tonight, which uh, I always enjoy getting to do that every once in a while and, and tie my, my chemistry in here a little bit, and... Uh, so let's talk about uh, what we did in the QSO party back on August 21st um, when Ham Radio had a chance to contribute to science, uh, studying the effects of the clips. Um, so how did the QSO party go? So the QSO party went very well. Um, so the QSO party was an eight-hour event. Um, it took place both before, during, and after this solar eclipse was over the continental United States. And uh, we had quite a large amount of participation. Uh, We had over 600 logs submitted, and from those 600 logs, we had over 30,000 QSOs logged. But in addition to just to that data, we also had observations from the reverse beacon network, WhisperNet, and the PSK reporter system. And uh, from Reverse Beacon Network, we had over 618,000 spots. From WhisperNet, we had over 630,000 spots. And from PSK Reporter, we had over 1.2 million spots. So that's a lot of observations for us to look at. That's a lot of data to crunch. It certainly is. <laughs> My students today were doing antacid titrations, and they did two whole trials. So they had wow. two data sets. So, so I think you beat them just by a little bit. <laughs> Maybe. We, we might have a little bit more to work, on, work with here. Just a little bit. Well, um, after crunching all of that data and, and mm-hmm. coming up with some conclusions, here's our scientific method for those of you playing along at home, um, what, what did you find out from all this data? Well, we found out that um, our expectation was pretty much met uh, with the data that we collected. And so what our expectation was that the um, ionosphere would see a decrease in density due to the eclipse, and that would cause uh, a weakening or worse propagation, decrease in uh, propagation on the higher bands, say like 14 megahertz, and um, maybe some improvement on the lower bands, uh, 40 meters, 80 meters, and 160 meters. So that's the, that's the main gist of what we got out of this. But uh, one you, thing... Oh, go ahead. Uh, I wanted to say that, um, you know, eclipses have been studied many times in the past, how, and their ionospheric effects have been studied many times in the past. But... These, most of those studies have been 
um, fairly small scale, uh, maybe a couple of data points here and there. Um, a couple of years ago, the Radio Society of Great Britain, they did a partial eclipse QSO experiment where they had larger numbers. This event that we ran, we have by far more data than any other previous ionospheric eclipse experiment that's happened. And so that really makes this data set quite unique. Absolutely. And, and you were kind enough to share with me uh, some of your preliminary uh, results you're working on writing all this stuff up right now and and noticed that uh, you know there's some good graphs there and, and you were kind enough to share those and we sent those out on uh, Twitter and Facebook right before the show and uh, we'll uh, get those on uh, Instagram here ran out of time so Instagram folks I'll get you here in a little bit but um, you did have some graphs that kind of showed that so if people want to see those um, you can head over to our social media here uh, for Ham Talk Live on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, and I'll get them on Instagram again uh, a little bit later. Uh, but that's all on uh, the HamSci website is, is where this came from, and we also link to uh, uh, some slides over there about all of this. But in reading the paper and, and in doing a little more of the scientific uh, write-up, I noticed that um, you, you talked a lot about, um, the control, uh, of your experiment, which is, you know, what, what goes on normally and that the lousy sunspot cycle that we're all complaining about all the time was actually good for something for once. So tell us about that. Absolutely. So, um, yes, we were very fortunate on the eclipse day because uh, overall things were geomagnetically quiet. Uh, the sun was not very active that day and that makes it easier for us to see the eclipse effects. Now I should say that we had a, a few small, there were a couple small solar flares in the, um, later in the day. There was one around um, 18 UT and another one maybe around uh, 20 uh, 21 UT, uh, but those were very, very minor. Uh, KP was less than three for the entire period, and many of the other uh, parameters that we look for in the solar wind and um, the interplanetary magnetic field, those were uh, fairly normal values. So we can be fairly certain that the effects that we're seeing are more likely due to the eclipse rather than due to other forms of space weather. And that's something you can't control and you always hope that you get when you do some kind of scientific study and, and, and it was good for something. That's right. Absolutely. And now, now can, we get, can we get rid of it now that the study's over? Can we get rid of it now? <laughs> <laughs> now the study's over. Let's, put, let, let's get that solar well, activity know, going again. Know, when we have less solar activity, we can start like putting more of an emphasis on those lower bands. So, you know, there's still, still things we can do with our hobby here. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll start seeing things ramp up again eventually. <laughs> but one of the other things he mentioned was the idea of a control group. And um, that's something in the paper that I, I wrote. Um, I, I took this idea of a control group. I needed something to compare the solar eclipse uh, QSO party observations against. 
And one of the ways I did that was I took reverse beacon network data from days before the solar eclipse and days after the solar eclipse. I was able to use that as a control group to compare with what happened during the SCQP. And you mentioned that uh, in your paper, I noticed too, that uh, you were just kind of overwhelmed with um, the number of of contacts and data points that that were on the air for this thing that people did really did turn out for this. Absolutely, it's taken a lot of effort to just get the data put together in a form that we could look at it. And in the paper that I've worked on, I've only used a subset of the of the data. I've focused on reverse beacon network data, and even that subset of the data is um, hundreds of thousands of data points. So trying to figure out how do we whittle these, the things that we look at down into a story that we can tell and we can understand, that's a, a very tricky thing. Yeah, always is. And uh, you've, you've still got your work cut out for you, but I'm um, glad that we're able to uh, get some of the preliminary uh, results and, uh, and take a look at some of that. So... Um, now, I know you also are offering a workshop through HamSci, um, which, by the way, I didn't mention the address. That's uh, HamSci.org, H-A-M-S-C-I.org. Uh, but you're offering a workshop in a couple of weeks there um, where you work at NJIT. So tell us about this workshop coming up. Sure. So this workshop is going to be the first um, HamSci a workshop meeting and I'm quite excited about it because it's going to really be a meeting of both professional scientists and amateur radio operators coming together to talk about how can we advance science through amateur radio and uh, the meeting has two main themes uh, the Friday of the meeting is going to focus mostly on solar eclipse um, observations so I'll be presenting the observations I made from the Solar Eclipse QSO party. We're going to have hams from the community who've done their own experiments and also have used data from the Eclipse QSO party they'll be presenting. We have scientists from the MIT Haystack Observatory and Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory. They'll be coming and presenting their professional observations of eclipse results. So it's really quite exciting. And then on Saturday, we're going to be talking about a newer project. Um, we're looking at the possibility of developing a personal space weather station, um, some, a device that uh, we would design and build that could tell you what the space weather conditions are at your local, at your particular location, and then it would send that data back to um, NJIT and to HamSci, and we would be able to use that to say, um, get a better picture of what is going around the country and around the globe. Well, sounds like a very unique opportunity and, uh, sounds like a, a great idea. And, uh, or, you know, if this goes over real well, are you, are you planning some more? Um, I certainly hope so. We hope this is the first of many. So, um, this is going to be a good start. And then we're also hoping to be at the Dayton Hamvention and we're also uh, working with the with the Tapper Group, the Tucson Amateur Packet Radio Group. They have a digital communications convention, um, the DCC, in uh, the fall in September. So I'm hoping that we'll have like the HamSci meeting 
in the winter around February when we're having it now. Then we'll meet again with uh, Tapper in uh, the fall. And then, you know, about six months later, uh, a little bit later, then we'll meet again with Hamsai. So I'm hoping that this is the first of many. Sounds like a great uh, undertaking and um, very appreciative of of you doing that and, and making those connections between ham radio and and science and uh it's it's a wonderful thing so uh we're going to take a break uh but when we come back we're going to open up the phone lines and uh look at the tweets and take your questions about uh the results here from the solar eclipse qso party and some of the science uh that we've been able to figure out of the uh, ionosphere um, from all of that data so we'll do that after we come back Um, after this word from the National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting right here on Ham Talk Live. The National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting, located in Westchester, Ohio, just north of Cincinnati, is only two minutes off I-75. The museum is the former home of the Voice of America Bethany Relay Station. Tours are now available every Saturday and Sunday from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. You can see the control room, a 200,000-watt transmitter, and the most comprehensive collection of inventions by the iconic Powell Crosley, Jr. Also on display is a huge antique radio exhibit and R.L. Drake's personal collection of most every Drake amateur rig ever made. This is a unique opportunity to see amateur radio in action and have a chance to get on the air from WC8VOA. Admission is only $5 a person. The museum is located close to historic WLWAM and tons of shopping and restaurants. Take a trip to the VOA Museum or visit us online at voamuseum.org. Join the conversation. Call us on voice with Skype at Ham Talk Live or give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. The Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting's next special event is an evening with Wayne Martin. It'll be held on Saturday, March 3rd at 7.30 p.m. The event is in conjunction with an exhibit on Larry Smith Puppets, The Works, which is now on display at the museum. So if you want a little Cincinnati children's television history, uh, that'd be a great event to go to. Again, Saturday, March 3rd. 7.30 p.m. at the Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting in Westchester, Ohio. And uh, glad to have them uh, around. Hope to uh, get over there some more soon. On Ham Talk Live, we're on the air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time at hamtalklive.com. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And um, it is time for your calls now. So uh, if you've had a question for Nathaniel, now is the time to call. So let me give you that phone number. It's 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. 
or you can Skype us. We're Ham Talk Live on Skype, or tweet us at Ham Talk Live on the old Twitter, and um, we'll also watch the chat here. If uh, you make a comment on the Spreaker website, we'll see that as well. So uh, we'll open it up and take questions from you all about HamSci, about the Solar Eclipse QSO party. Um, and the results from this or anything else. And, and we've got a call right now, so let's go ahead and go to our first call of the night. Good evening. Who's this? Questions from you all about the party. Ben? Can you turn your speakers down there? Okay. All right. Thank you, Ben. Uh, what's your call sign? Okay, two CPU, Kilo two, Charlie, Hawaii uniform. Oh, great! Glad to have you on here, Ben. I uh, just talked to you here not long ago for Newsline. So, uh, what's your question here this evening? Oh, um, I call time. I'm listening in the speaker. <laughs> I'm just uh, listening about the solar rescue so far. Yeah, I just turned it on, and uh, I wanted to play with the hand talk live and karen told me to listen so i figured i'd give you a listen so i just wanted to say hello on i'm interrupting the show sorry about that <laughs> oh no problem thanks for calling in appreciate it and uh ben's no uh, gonna be on uh newsline here in the morning actually when that comes out so uh look forward to that and um were were you a part of the uh were you in on the solar eclipse QSO party by chance um, I operated a little bit. Um, we went down to Robert Moses Beach, and uh, we didn't do it for very long. We were on the air for about an hour or so. We made about 50 or 60 contacts. There weren't, we, there weren't that many people, it seemed, but uh, at least where we were. But uh, there, we made some contacts, but not that many. Um, yeah, I didn't notice any effects of the solar eclipse. But uh, I'd like to hear the results of the scientific data. Yeah, Nathaniel, there's there's fifty or sixty of your data points. Oh, hi, Ben. How are you? Nice to meet you. Hi, hi. So, uh, yes, we have been. Um, I've been looking mostly at the reverse beacon network data, and uh, there are two two really interesting effects that I noticed. Um, one is in the uh, fourteen megahertz data. I can see a decrease in the amount of signal-to-noise ratio we would see as you get more of the eclipse. And the reason we believe that occurs is because um, the ionosphere is getting weaker, and so uh, more of the 14 megahertz rays, they escape out into space. Um, On the 7 megahertz band, we see something a little bit different. Uh, We actually see the... Um, distances you can talk to increase um, quite substantially as the eclipse, as you see more eclipse. And this also is because the um, the ionosphere is thinning, but the 7 megahertz band um, will just be bent less, and it's still below the critical frequency. So instead of escaping out into space, the rays just move out in distance. So those are two of the major effects that we saw in the RBN data. Okay, that that's very interesting. And, uh, I'm sure you had a lot of data. <laughs> yeah, we... And, uh, did you judge on the, the sideband 
portion of the band or mostly just like the reverse speaking network and the DW? At this point, I've focused only on the reverse speaking network data. Um, I think some other people have also looked at WhisperNet data. But one nice thing is that all of those observations are, are still in there, are still available. And so um, I would imagine that um, I, I am planning on releasing the uh, log data um, once we get it a little bit more processed. So then the voice and the phone data will be available for people to look at as well. And um, also, that should some of that should show up on DX cluster, which is also available for analysis. So we're hoping to continue to do more with this data in the future. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. So, um, all right. Well, I'm going to go back to listening. Um, I guess I just hang up, right? Yep, you do. Um, thanks for calling, Ben. Appreciate you you calling in and uh, asking about this. And thanks for uh, contributing some of that data. Yeah, thank you very <laughs> much. It was really nice meeting you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 812-638-4261 is the phone number, 812-NET-HAM-1. If uh, you'd like to join in the conversation this evening, we're talking about HAMSI and uh, the ionosphere um, with the solar eclipse and uh, the data from the solar eclipse QSO party. So yeah, you're you're going to take this data, and and you've still got a lot more to to process here. Are are you going to be looking at uh, any other trends? You you mentioned uh, what was happening on forty and twenty. Um, do you have any other things that you're going to be looking for? Absolutely. There's a few things we're working on right now. Um, one of the things I think this data set's going to be very helpful with um, is testing ionospheric models. So there are some numerical models that have already been uh, published or put out there that predict what the ionosphere was supposed to look like during the eclipse. And we can use a technique called ray tracing to calculate how those, how radio waves, HF radio waves travel through um, those, that ionosphere. And uh, we have both eclipsed versions of the ionosphere and non-eclipsed versions of the ionosphere. And so right now, I have a student who's working with this data, uh, the RBN and the PSK reporter data, and he's also working with some of these ionospheric models, and he's trying to develop ways to uh, test the models based on the data that we have. So that's something we have in development right now. All right. Well, sounds like... Uh... You've got plenty of uh, work to keep you occupied and, and your students, so uh, that's yes. always a good thing. Uh, what are you looking at uh, doing in the future with with HAMSI? And you mentioned uh, you know trying to do some of these um, um, sharing of, of results, uh, get-togethers, uh, and, and workshops. Uh, what else is uh, in the works for HAMSI? I think there's a few things. Um, one of the things we're really working on right now is, you know, we have these large data sets, but they're not really designed for scientific use. Um, you know, they're designed for ham radio use. They're designed to say, you get on the air and you're like, I want to know if I can hear, you know, Russia or Germany or, you know, Antarctica or some DX country. It doesn't really give you a good measurement of what the ionosphere is actually doing. 
So, and yet we know that information about the ionosphere is in this data. So one of the things we're trying to work on is how do we take all of this data and actually make it into something useful that can help us discover something new about the ionosphere or tell us something that we, we didn't know before. So that's, that's something we're working on right now. Um, another thing which may be a little bit easier is using that data to give us a better understanding of what current propagation conditions are. Um, for instance, if you go on the NOAA Space Weather Prediction Center website, they will give you um, current, they'll give you predictions saying that there's a lot of D-region absorption going on right now, or there's not, or there's a geomagnetic storm. And they give you these predictions to help people understand, for one thing, how it affects HF propagation. But they don't really have right now a good way of measuring, you know, is HF propagation in fact being um, affected by these things and how much? And it, it would be nice if we had a good way to take all of these observations that the RBN and PSK reporter and WhisperNet are producing, if we had a really good way of taking that um, and comparing it or uh, comparing it slash validating, you know, what some of these predictions are. So that's another thing we're working on. Excellent stuff. And uh, if you have a question about any of that, give us a call at 812-638-4261. Uh, again, the phone number, 812-NET-HAM-1. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, I've got a um, message here from Carl, KD9HQT. And uh, he says, me and my father, WB9EWF, did an experiment during the solar eclipse. Uh, where we listened to WSM, which is a big AM station down in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, since the D layer dissipated and uh, opened up the F layer for that time being. And um, his dad was at work, and uh, he was in the car um, and in a shack at, at home. But uh, they heard the station, but it uh, was about 5'9". Uh, listen to hand bands, but not much activity. Um, it was mostly on 80, 40, and 20, which um, he presumed that there would be more activity since the F layer was open and the solar eclipse was happening. So um, he wants to know why couldn't I hear very much activity on the lower HF, but did listen mostly on um, on MW frequencies, but... Uh, it was uh, mostly difficult to really tell if there was a difference with the F layer open uh, during the day and the eclipse occurring at the same time and then comparing day and night activity and lower and higher bands and all that. So um, any input on that? Uh, let me see if I get this right. So he's wondering why he didn't hear as much of an effect on the lower yeah. HF bands. Hmm. Um, I'm not completely sure. Well, I, I guess there's a few, few ways to answer that. One is if you're just like talking on the radio, it may be difficult to actually notice a real difference unless you're carefully writing down numbers, um, and systematically recording things. So that's one possibility. Uh, another thing I've noticed, and, um, this is something that's, you know, worth looking into a little bit more is that. I have, I'm looking at a plot right here, and I believe this is um, slide number, um, what slide number is this? Uh, this is slide number 11 in that presentation you sent out. 
that shows uh, the number of RBN spots with respect to time during the eclipse. And you can see that um, the lower bands did have a spike, um, the 80 and the um, 160 meter bands. They did raise up, but it was really only after totality um, came through. So, you know, the, uh, the effect for those particular bands was delayed a little bit. And the reason we suspect that probably occurred was because, um, you know, the, the, re the rate at which things recombine or the ionosphere disappears after or when the eclipse occurs compared to how fast it reappears later, those can be different. So that might be one reason why that effect is delayed. So maybe he um, didn't hear as much of an effect because maybe the effect was delayed and he wasn't listening to it at the right time, or maybe his local conditions just made it hard to hear other people. So there's, there's a number of things. That's one of, one of the reasons we're trying to look at these larger data sets, because you can start to see um, these effects spread out over large areas rather than just single points. It's sometimes harder to get, get the complete picture. Okay, 812-638-4261 is the phone number, and we have a few minutes left with Dr. Nathaniel Frisell, W2NAF, from the New Jersey Institute of Technology in the Solar Terrestrial uh, Research Department there. Um, so give us a call. Um, now, what can HAMS plan on doing here in the future uh, and, and how can they continue to contribute? You know, we got a lot of people on the air for this QSO party. What can just your, your everyday ham do to contribute to this? Well, there's a number of things. I mean, one thing is just operate. Um, so if people get on the digital modes, if they get on CW, if they get on phone and use the DX cluster and spot people, if they play with WhisperNet, all of that creates data that we'll be able to um, analyze. It gets archived at these different websites, and um, we can go take a look at that. Uh, that's, that's a really simple way. Another way is um, HAMS out there. You can go and you can download the data from these websites that has been created, and you can start playing around with it yourself and, and see what you can learn, learn from it. And if you have uh, questions on how to do that, you can email us at hamsi.org. Um, or uh, another thing, we have this upcoming um, project to work on this space weather station. If you uh, follow along in QST, if you come to uh, the TAP or DCC or talk to us at Hamvention or come to the HamSci meeting, uh, you can get involved in the development of those projects as well. Okay, so there's some uh, opportunities for everyone out there uh, to get involved and, and tie science even closer to ham radio or or the other way around um so good stuff there and again the website is hamsci.org h-a-m-s-c-i.org and you'll find a presentation up there that has a couple of those graphs we were talking about and uh, we sent those out on our uh, social media sites as well um so do you want to talk any more about the um the 20 meter graph and the, and that 40 meter graph that we sent out, was there any more detail 
on that? Um, let's see. Sure, there's a few other things that might be worth uh, noting. Um, one of the things that we're we are kind of interested in um, are those farther away um, points. So you'll see. Uh, okay, so if you look at these graphs, you'll see that there's a lot of uh, data points that are between zero and say 5,000 kilometers in range. And that distance you see there is basically the length of the United States. It's the the farthest you can get from one point to, in the United States to another is about 5,000 kilometers. So it's really interesting that you can see that cutoff so clearly in the data. And then after that, you see another group of data points that goes from about 5,000 kilometers out to, um, say, 10,000 kilometers. And you can see there that that's probably, um, those are the connections into Europe. So this, these plots show not only what was going on in the United States, but it also shows some connections into Europe. And um, along with that, when we made these plots, it's required that either the transmitter or the receiver is in an area that's roughly around North America, and that was to try and capture the most of the most of the eclipse effects. Um, it's just interesting in in these plots and in some of the other plots that I've made that you we see less of the European um, signals uh, in the eclipse plot versus the control, and some of that could just be because there's a uh, the control group's much bigger. But there's also some possibility that the eclipse actually caused um, that those distant contacts to not be able to be made even later in the evening. But that's something we're still looking at in um, still looking at right now more closely. So we'll see where that goes. All right. Well, that's some really interesting um, stuff, and uh, look forward to seeing where all this data ends up uh, leading you. Uh, in the future, and it's good to get a uh, a little bit of a peek in in what you've been able to do so far. And so, thank you so much for coming on the show and explaining all of that and and sharing it with us. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from Hamsai. All right, thank you very much, Neil. It's been a pleasure being on your show. All right, that's Doctor Nathaniel Frisell, W two N A F, the. Um, one of the assistant research professors at the New Jersey Institute of Technology Center for Solar Terrestrial Research. And we want to thank him again for being on the show tonight. And that's going to be a wrap for this week's Ham Talk Live. And I'd also like to thank everybody out there in cyberspace for listening, calling in, writing in, and I invite you back next Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. For a list of all of our upcoming guests, just go to hamtalklive.com and click on the show schedule link. So for now, this is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375, and may the good DX be yours.
seven three and good luck from Ham Talk Live.